0: Exodus 13, I'm going to read you, follow along. Exodus 13, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month of Abib, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep his service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. And you shall tell your sons in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me. When I came up from Egypt and it shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth or with a strong hand. The Lord has brought you out of Egypt and you shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you that you shall set apart to the Lord, all that open the womb, that is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's, but every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck, and all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this? that you shall say to him, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. And it shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. For by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Succoth and camped at Etham at the edge of the wilderness, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Father, we ask that you would now by your Holy Spirit illuminate this word. Let the gospel of your scripture come forth Lord, let it be seen, let it go into our hearts and our minds and transform us and conform us to the very image of the Son of God. Do this for your glory, God, that your church, that your people would be a witness to you in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 13. So Israel has come out of the Promised Land. The tenth plague has come. The death of the firstborn throughout Egypt has taken place. The cry went up out of Egypt and the Egyptians drove the Israelites out of the land. And as Israel is leaving the land and they're leaving Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land, God speaks to Moses and He says, Consecrate to Me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast is mine. And what God is doing is claiming what is rightfully his. And this is something that we need to understand, that we have no claim on anything except what, gives us, what God gives us claim to. And the reality is this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell within. That's Psalm 24, 1. And in Deuteronomy 10:14, God says, Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. What we have is not truly ours. It is the Lord's. What we have is what God has entrusted to us we are stewards over our lives our children our possessions but but the earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it God told Moses consecrate to me all the firstborn of the children of Israel God killed the firstborn of man and beast of the Egyptians, but he sets apart and makes holy the firstborn of the children of Israel. And we saw this throughout the plagues that came upon Egypt when God would say, I make a difference between the children of Israel and the Egyptians. And once again, we see that God is making a clear difference between the children of Israel and the Egyptians. God wants His people to know that He has made a difference and that God calls His children to be different than the children of the world. And He does that because we are different. We are made different by God. We once were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. So consecrate to me all the firstborn. God says, There is a difference between my children and the children of the world. We as a people, oftentimes, well, we never really understand our sinfulness. You can know that you're a sinner, and I think we all know that we are. At the very least, everybody knows they're not perfect, everybody knows they make mistakes. But to say that I'm not perfect or to say that I make mistakes is vastly different than understanding the depth of our sinfulness. And we do not understand the depth of our sinfulness because we cannot comprehend the holiness of God. We really have no reference. We have no way of fully comprehending who God is and the holiness of God. But God is holy, the Bible says. This is what he tells Israel. I am holy, therefore you should strive to live holy. Now, we can't become holy. This word consecrate means to sanctify or to set apart as holy. And this is what God is saying. God is saying, consecrate to me, sanctify, set apart as holy all the firstborn of Israel, of man and beast. And God is making a distinction. It's not that the firstborn was more holy than the ones that came after. It's that God is making a distinction, and God is claiming what he's doing with Israel is showing them that there is a difference between them and everyone else in the world. And it is what God wants us to understand as well. He commands Israel to remember this day and to keep this ordinance. For by strength of hand the Lord brought you out. He, in this chapter, God tells them three times, by strength of hand, by the strong hand of the Lord, I brought you out of Egypt. God saves us by His hand. We are not saved by our own. You can't pay your way into heaven. You can't work your way into heaven. You can't earn it. Your salvation is not of you. It's not from you. It doesn't originate in any way, shape, or form in you. God is the savior salvation is of the lord this is what the scripture teaches us it declares this salvation is of the lord god saves us by his hand god instituted the feast of unleavened bread now remember god told moses and the children of israel he said get get a lamb bring it into your house on the 10th of the month four days before you're going to slaughter it and cook it and eat it. And that night that you sacrifice the lamb, you take the blood, put it on the doorpost and the lintel of your house there, the lintel of your door, and then you go in that house, and you don't come out of that house, and you eat that lamb, and what you don't eat, you burn with fire, and, and you eat unleavened bread. It, back in that day, they didn't have a store to go buy quick-acting yeast there was no such thing they leavened their bread naturally in other words they had to let it sit they had to let the dough sit and it would naturally leaven and if you don't know how that happens go to netflix and watch the series called Cooked, and watch part three about air and bread and you'll 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 see just how miraculous your food really is And they would allow that dough to sit there, and it would take hours for that dough to naturally leaven. Well, God says, you don't have time for that, so you're going to eat unleavened bread. So they put the flour, and they put the water, and they put the salt together, and they made bread, but they didn't have time for it to rise. It was called unleavened bread. It didn't have any leaven in it. And God is reminding His people, that their salvation has come from Him, that their salvation is from a holy God. And so every year they would keep this feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which included Passover and first fruits, because they're all right there together. Passover was the first day of this feast of unleavened bread that lasted seven days. And for seven days they would not eat leaven. They weren't even to have leaven in their house. They would go through and they would take all the leaven out of their house. Is there something sinful about leaven? That's not it. That's not the point. It's not that leaven is sinful, but here leaven represented corruption. What is leaven? It's just the natural process. It's the natural death process. How your bread leavens, how your bread rises is because bacteria in there is Things are dying and decaying and producing gases, and, and that's what makes your bread rise. Did you know that? It's actually death inside your bread that makes it rise up and puff up. You don't think of it that way, do you? But that's, that's really what's happening. Things inside that bread are dying, decaying, producing gases and making your bread rise, and it tastes really good. might not taste as good after this sermon, right? Another reason, why did God not want any leaven? Because leaven represented death. Leaven represented sin. And what did God institute the Passover for? He said, I'm going to deliver you from death. I'm going to deliver you from sin. Now remember, everything in the Bible, as we read these stories, as we read these accounts of what happened to Israel, we're reading these But we need to read them and we need to see them and we need to hear them with eyes that see Jesus because this wasn't just about eating lamb in their house on a certain night and having a lamb party. This was about being delivered from death. This was pointing us to Jesus who is, the Bible calls him, the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Well, that tells us right there a whole lot of things Number one, it tells us that the cross was not God's plan B. That Jesus was always meant to come. He was always meant to die. That Adam was never meant to be the one that would walk perfectly before God. It was always meant to be Christ. And Christ was meant to come through Adam. That's why Jesus is called the last Adam or the second man. And what Jesus ushered in was a new creation and a new humanity. So in the Old Covenant, here in Israel, leaven represented death and it represented sin. And God says, I want you to remember this. I want you to keep this feast every year. I want you to remember that I'm a holy God. And there is no sin and there is no death associated with me. And to remember that you're a holy people, you're going to do this and you're going to remember that I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, I delivered you from bondage, I delivered you from sin. And so he commands them to remember this day, reminding his people and reminding us that he brought about our salvation by his strong hand, that Israel was not capable of saving themselves and neither are we. We need the strength of God's hand to deliver us from sin and death. And only God can command light to shine out of darkness. Only God can take something that is one kind and turn it into another kind. Speaking of leaven, when we see leaven in the Old Testament, it's always associated with sin and corruption. But when we come to the New Testament, we see Jesus give a parable that says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that leavens a lump of dough. And one little bit of leaven in that lump of dough leavens the whole lump, he says. He says the kingdom of heaven is like that. And we see now the gospel the gospel of the kingdom is this, that God has now infiltrated this world. He has now infected this world with his gospel. And he says the kingdom is like leaven, that leavens the lump, and it spreads and it spreads and it spreads. Unto you a child is born, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no peace. In. That's what the prophet Isaiah prophesied concerning the Lord Jesus when he was born. And Jesus says, this is, this is the kingdom. This is the economy of the kingdom. It's like leaven that leavens the whole lump. Church, don't ever believe the gospel is not working. It is working. It's not working because we can always see it working, it's not working because we believe it's working. It's not working because someone says it's working. It's working because God has declared it so. It's working because God sent His Son. It's working because God put His gospel into the earth. Because God has brought His kingdom. His kingdom has come. And He says, this is what you should pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know that has taken place because the King of the kingdom has come He was born, He lived, He died, He was buried, He rose again, He ascended to the Father. He poured out His Spirit upon all flesh, not just upon kings, not just upon prophets, not just upon priests, but He poured it out on rich and poor, on young and old, on male and female, on slave and free, Those identities have been abolished. There is now one identity. It is in Jesus Christ. That's how we are known by the Father. That's how we're brought into the presence of the Father by Jesus Christ. God says, remember this day. Keep this day. And then God says this. Later on, down in in those verses from 13 to from verse 3 to verse 16, God says, My sons I redeem. My sons I redeem. The consecration of the firstborn among the children of Israel is a clear picture of God's grace given to us in Jesus Christ, the firstborn Son of God. God has declared us holy. You're not holy because you live a mistake free life you're not holy because you've become a good sin manager you are holy because God has declared you holy in Jesus Christ God has made you what you could not and I could not make myself and he has redeemed us as sons because he has called us his sons and this picture of God redeeming his sons Among His people is a picture of God's grace that's given to us in Jesus Christ, who was the firstborn Son of God. It was not Israel that made the difference, but it was God. God had mercy on Israel. He extended His grace to them in keeping the promise God made to Abraham and to his seed. Let's turn back a few pages to Genesis chapter 17, and let's look at the promise that God gives to Abraham. Genesis chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Now, when God begins speaking to Abraham, this is recorded here for us in in, uh, Genesis chapter 17. In the beginning of this, when God begins speaking, Abraham was still Abram. If you didn't know that Abraham was not always Abraham, he was Abram, and we're going to see when God changes Abram's name to Abraham. It's right here in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. Then Abram, when when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, "I am Almighty God. Walk before me." and be blameless, or be holy. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, But your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed. Depending on what Bible you have there, see that word descendants? I don't like that word. Because the original Hebrew word, the literal translation of the Hebrew word there is seed. It means descendants. It's not an incorrect translation. It's just not a literal word for word translation. And we're going to see why it's important that when you read that, when you read the word descendants, when God's talking to Abraham making his promise and you read the word descendant in your Bible, you should always think seed. Seed not just descendants. So what he says here is this. He said, I'm going to make a covenant between me and you and your seed after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your seed after you. Also, I give to you and your seed after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your seed, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your seed after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. That was the sign of the covenant. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So this is the promise that God makes to Abraham. And so when Moses and the children of Israel are here coming out of Egypt, they are reminded of the promise that God made to Abraham. So they've been in Egypt for 430 years. And many of those children of Israel may have forgotten the covenant, but God has not forgotten the covenant. They, many may have been unaware of the promise of God, but God was not unaware. And so God sends Moses to go back to lead them out of Egypt because God had made a promise and a covenant with Abraham. Abraham. And the promise was not only to Abraham and to his descendants, more specifically and most importantly, the promise was made to Abraham and to his seed. Now to understand why that word seed is so important, let's go to the New Testament and let's go to Galatians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatians gives the plain meaning that Christ was always the promised seed, and that all the promises that God made to Abraham were made to and for Christ. So let's go to Galatians chapter 3. And let's start reading in verse 13. Galatians 3.13. Sorry, uh, computer person, I didn't put 13 in there. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. But the blessing of Abraham, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. Paul is quoting directly from the Genesis record there. And he says, God didn't make a promise to Abraham's many descendants he made a promise to his seed who is Christ the promise is not made to Christ along with everybody else the promise is made to Christ now why is this important well we can go on and we see that in verse 29 Paul sums up this chapter with And if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ, if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So when God says, I redeem my sons, when God is consecrating the firstborn and he says, consecrate to me the firstborn of everything that opens the womb of the children of Israel, this is giving us a picture we can see clearly now Because we have hindsight. But God was giving Israel a picture as they looked forward into their future of Christ, the firstborn Son of God, who would be consecrated, sanctified, set apart. He is the Holy Lamb of God whose sacrifice has redeemed the sons of Israel, has redeemed the children of Israel. And it was God who redeemed them by the blood of the Lamb. And Paul says, if you belong to Christ, God's firstborn son, then you have been sanctified, you have been made holy in him, and you are Abraham's seed, and you are heirs according to the promise. So here is what we now understand, as we see the Bible interpret the Bible, that since the beginning, all the promised blessing of God to his children are fulfilled in Christ. The promise made to Abraham was to Abraham and his seed, who is Christ. How do we come into the promise of God? How do we experience the blessing of God? in Christ this is why Jesus told his disciples in John 14 as he's getting ready to go this is right after the Passover meal and they are they're getting ready they're going to the Garden of Gethsemane Jesus is talking to them about why it's good for him to go away he says it's good for me to go away because if I go away I'm gonna send the comforter But if I go away, I'm going to receive you again to myself. Don't be fearful. In my house, in my Father's house, are many dwelling places. And he says, I am the way. The disciple says, well, just just show us the way. And the answer Jesus gave was, I am the way. I am the truth I am the life no one comes to the father except through me how do we come to the father there is only one way it is through Jesus Christ to come to the father we must be holy we must be blameless we see this throughout the scripture how in the world are you and I going to become holy we can't work that hard we don't have enough money there's no price that can be paid to obtain that. That holiness comes only in Jesus Christ. That means unless you and I are in Christ we have no chance of coming into the presence of a Holy Father, a Holy God. And this is what God has done for us by redeeming us through the blood of His firstborn Son. My sons I redeem. And then in verse 17 of Exodus 13 we see that God leads them by, not by way of the land of the Philistines look at this verse 17 then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines although it was near or although it was the quickest way to get there God leads us in the way that will fulfill His promised purpose. That means that God doesn't always lead us the shortest way to His promise. Have you ever noticed that? God leads us the way He knows is best for us, even when that way does not appear best to us. Ever been there? God never chooses our way because it's the shortest or because it's the easiest or because it's the hardest. He chooses our way because it is the best way to His promise for us. We're the ones making those judgments. This is too hard. This is too easy. This is too long. This is too short. God's not considering any of that. God is looking at the way he's leading us. He says, this is the best way for you to come to the promise I have for you. God could care less which way is shortest or longest or hardest or easiest. God will take us the best way. He doesn't lead us based on a whim. He has a purpose in everything that he does. He didn't lead them the shortest way. Why? Because he said they'll encounter war and they're not ready for war. God does not lead us into war until he prepares us for the battle. Israel went up out of the land of Egypt in orderly ranks, it says. God was leading them in the way and preparing them for all that was ahead of them, and they did not even realize it. If you're in the midst of a battle right now, God has let you enter that battle because he has prepared you for that battle. Now, that doesn't mean you necessarily feel prepared or believe you're prepared, but God doesn't lead you into a battle unless he's prepared you for the battle. God doesn't let you go to war until you're prepared for the fight. God keeps His promises, not according to our time and not according to our way, but according to His. We see here that it came to pass that when Israel was going out of the land, that they were reminded and they remembered that Joseph, verse 19, and Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. Joseph made the people of Israel promise to carry his bones up with them when they left Egypt. And Joseph told Israel that God would visit his people, and when he did, that they were not to forget him and leave his bones in Egypt, but to carry his bones up with them to the land of promise. 430 years later to the day, Israel leaves Egypt. And they're going back to the promised land of their father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God kept his promise to visit his people and to lead them out. But I would be willing to bet that there were a lot of the children of Israel that would not have waited 430 years for God to lead them out. In fact, there were many, many, many of them who died in Egypt and never physically left the land of Egypt and entered the promised land. They would not have waited that long had it been up to them. But God keeps His promises, not based on what we want, but based on what He knows is best. So we can't be a people that, that are fooled by what we can see, and we can't be a people that loses heart based on what we cannot see. We see some things and we lose heart. We don't see some things and we lose heart. The Bible says you walk by faith and not by sight. God works in His way and His time for His glorious purpose. We cannot always see Him working, but He has made it clear to us by His Word that He is and He is always working for our good. God goes before His people always. It says that the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them in the way and by night in the pillar of fire to give them light as they go. The Lord goes before His people. That means that God is ahead of us. He's leading us and preparing our way. And when it says that the Lord went before them It doesn't simply mean that God was out front. It means that God was before them. He was behind them. He was beside them. He was above them. He was below them. He was in their midst. Now in Christ, under a better covenant based on better promises, God is not just a God that goes before us. He's not just a God who takes us by the hand and walks with us. But we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. We are in God, and God is in us. Now, through the redemption that Christ has bought for us and paid for, for us, we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. God has poured His Spirit into your heart, and God doesn't just dwell with you, but God dwells in you, and you dwell in God. That is the reality that we now experience in Christ. It says that he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before his people. God is our light. He is our covering for all eternity. His promise is that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us for the child of God, for all who are trusting in Jesus Christ, the promise of God's presence in our life is eternally secure. If you are in Christ, you can rest assured that God goes before you always. Amen. I want to get, invite you to get ready to come to the Lord's table. Jesus instituted this table the night before His death on the cross when He celebrated the Passover with His disciples. He celebrated that Passover as the Passover Lamb. We come to this table to celebrate the God that has sanctified us and redeemed us by the blood of His first born Son. I encourage you to trust Jesus and come to the table and celebrate your redemption. Church, Christians, come to the table. Your charge is to turn to Jesus, to call upon Him, to trust in Him, and to know that He has consecrated you and redeemed you by His strong hand. By the blood of his firstborn. He is leading you in the way that will fulfill his promised purpose. He's not leading you the quickest way or the easiest way, but the best way. He's preparing you constantly for things that you do not know and that you cannot see. He is faithful to keep his promise, though it is according to his time and in his way. In all your way, he goes before you to be for you a light and a covering, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Remember that and consider that as you walk your walk of faith. Give him thanks, give him glory, and tell all of his most marvelous ways. As he has made himself known to you, make him known those around you. Amen.